welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast. And thanks for connecting with us again on Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be joined by Dr. Afton Hassett, who is an associate professor at the University of Michigan. Dr. Hassett is a clinical psychologist who works with the University of Michigan's Chronic Pain Center. She will be sharing some simple strategies on how we can deal with chronic pain. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now it's time to hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Afton Hassett. Dr. Afton Hassett, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. Well, it's a real honor to have you on, and I really appreciate the work that you've been doing. And this book, as I said, is really different because you kind of follow through on a lot of stuff that the typical self-help program doesn't help you with. Because we all know what we need to do. And we don't know how to do it. And even if they tell us how to do it, they don't give us kind of a step-by-step. You give us a 30-step-by-step process, in a sense. (laughs) And it's very easy to do at the same time because you know where you are each time. And you're only asking somebody to do something for one day. You try one thing, then you try the next thing, the next thing, and see what works for you in terms of getting rid of pain. Yeah, but certainly lessening pain. Right. And living a life that's more fulfilling and joyful and interesting. I think one of the most difficult things for people who have chronic pain is they lose so much of their life that they had before. They lose their ability to do the things they used to love to do. They start feeling that their relationships are more strained and they often have a change in what they imagine their life could be because of the chronic pain. And the goal of this book is to say, yes, you have chronic pain, but there are a number of things that you can do, some relatively simple things often that can start changing the experience of pain and can get you leading a more active, interesting and rewarding life. When you say chronic pain, a lot of people, and you point this out in the book, kind of give you the stink eye, so to speak, even doctors in some cases. And I know someone personally who has had that experience, like, I'm in a lot of pain. And they tell you, well, there's really nothing wrong with you. Yeah, that is the most infuriating thing. We are at one of the most preeminent research centers in the world. I have the privilege to work alongside three or four neuroscientists at any given time. And their job is to understand how pain is processed in the brain. We see it. We see what pain looks like when it's being detected and experienced. It's not something someone is making up. It is a biological, physiological process. And I will get on my soapbox and say, please, please, physicians, and healthcare workers recognize that chronic pain is real, it is experienced, but there are many things we can do to help people who live with it because it can be such a disruptive life force. And to kind of put it into a bumper sticker here, I'm taking this right from the book, chronic pain is not a psychiatric illness. Exactly. And what's interesting, though, and where this gets kind of jumbled up is often people with chronic pain live with it for quite a while before they ever even go to seek care from their physician. And by that time, there's probably been so much life disruption that they may actually end up at the doctor's office feeling a little depressed or a little anxious because it's hard to live with chronic illness and all the disruption. So what the doctor says is, ah, this person is depressed. Well, that explains the chronic pain, and that's so wrong. (laughs) Chronic pain often results in people developing psychiatric symptoms in response to living with chronic pain. But sometimes depression and anxiety can come before chronic pain. So these are important things to tease out. But the main message is that chronic pain is not a psychiatric illness. It is a biological, physiological process. 
I try to make parallels, and I'm hoping this is going to kind of make sense to our listeners who are driving trucks, a lot of them in tractor trailers, and to you too, Dr. Hassan, in that a tractor trailer, the gross allowable weight legally is 80,000 pounds, and you can handle that. But if you start loading in 90, 100, 110, 120,000 pounds, sooner or later, that straw is going to break that camel's back and that trailer is just going to collapse in the middle. You may have seen news stories through the years where a trailer just breaks because it can't stand the stress and the pain. We've got some physical pain. Now it's kind of dragging us down. It's making us depressed. It's making us sad, Mm -hmm. making us angry. And then we might get lonely because people don't like us anymore. So all of that piles on, piles on, piles on. And that's where we can't take it anymore. Right. And it makes it so much worse. And we see, unfortunately, increased rates of suicide and severe depression Mm. in people who live with chronic pain for a long time. It is a logical reaction to living with a life that is so disruptive. The problem, Dave, is that when we experience so many of these negative emotions like anxiety and depression and stress and fear and anger, they actually make the pain signals, the way the brain perceives pain, worse. It actually serves to amplify the pain signal and how it's experienced in the brain. But good news, Dave, is that there's many things that can be done that actually dampen down that pain signal. Those are a little bit of physical activity, doing things that decrease your stress. It could be different things for everybody, and that's why we have 30 different activities to perhaps find a stress buster that works for you. Things that decrease stress can be having fun, believe it or not, that if you have a little bit of fun, your stress goes down, your pain signal is actually blunted and goes down. Maybe your drivers have experienced when they're doing something they really love that's incredibly fun and engaging. Maybe it's sports or it's a hobby. And then they're in the middle, but they might actually realize their pain doesn't feel so bad or is totally gone. When we're in a state of intense concentration and joy, the pain signal is blunted. So what we try to do with our book is to help people learn new tips and tricks to better be able to manage their pain, but also how to bring more of these things that are make life worth living into their lives because that has the dual advantage of making life more fun, but also decreasing the pain signals. I'm going to really date myself here, but if Groucho Marx was here, a duck would come out of the ceiling with a big sign that said neuroplasticity. And I think that's the word of the day here, because one of the things you point out is that conventional wisdom in the past said, okay, you're born with a brain and that brain is set up and that's the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. But now we've understood that 86 billion neurons are not hardwired and our brain rewires itself quite a bit, a lot, Mm -hmm. and it responds to things. It kind of makes things worse on its own accord. Sometimes your brain can be your worst enemy in a sense. Right. And it certainly is the case with chronic pain. What we see is that there's networks in the brain, almost if you picture like hubs, that probably trucking or in an airport where people go to a lot, heavily traveled. That's kind of a part of a network that can be in the brain. But what happens is the hubs get wider and more hardwired when people have chronic pain. When we start doing things like exercising, eating better, doing things that we love, we can actually see those hubs change. So there is less connectivity between the hubs. There's actual remodeling and changing of the brain because of neuroplasticity, that the brain is a plastic thing that can rewire and we can change. And it can do so relatively quickly, which is what I find the most fascinating. 
Yeah, because even if we say, well, okay, your brain can change, but it's going to take a while. It's faster yeah. than we think, isn't it? Right. There's a really interesting study that looked at what happened if a group of people had their arms put into plaster casts. So the arms were totally immobilized, pinned against the person's body in a cast. And what they saw, they did brain scans like every single day for like a number of days. And what they saw is very quickly, without the use of that arm, the brain began to rewire almost immediately. And the neurons that used to be responsible for that arm kind of went dormant. They continued to have a little electricity. They hung there, but they were dormant almost immediately. And then they took the casts off the arms, and those neurons sprung right back into life. So it happens quite quickly. The brain is really an amazing, amazing thing that we really are only beginning to understand. Neuroplasticity is about as academic as the language, but basically, <laughs> essentially, it boils down to, again, sort of kind of bumper sticker slogan, top down, bottom up in terms uh, of yeah. pain. Kind of talk a little bit about what that means. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this, Dave. So there isn't just one type of pain. There is pain that can come from, say, somebody has osteoarthritis of the knee, which is kind of bone on bone grinding together. That's kind of what we call mechanical pain. It's kind of due to the function of the body. Then there's neuropathic pain. Some of your listeners may have that. And that's where there's kind of an impingement or a pinch of a nerve that causes like shooting pain. Or there's diabetic neuropathy that is also painful. And then there's inflammatory pain. People might have a condition like rheumatoid arthritis where the inflammation causes the pain. And then there's something that we call nociplastic pain kind of falls into that neuroplasticity category. And neuroplastic pain is pain that's kind of pain on its own. It's pain generated by the brain. So we call that top-down pain. So the pain exists because the brain is making it exist. Bottom-up pain means that pain like pain from osteoarthritis or neuropathic pain or inflammatory pain from the hands being swollen, that's bottom-up. That's coming from somewhere in the body that's shooting a signal up to the brain. The brain says, ah, I see you. So that's kind of bottom-up. Top-down, again, like conditions like fibromyalgia and often chronic low back pain over time becomes neuroplastic, meaning that the brain is generating the pain almost completely on its own. So there might be a small injury in the back. The brain is amplifying that signal well beyond what should be experienced. So these different types of pain need different types of treatment. If they didn't have to take one hand off the wheel, we would ask our driving yeah. audience to raise your hand if you've got lower back pain. And so that is real. Yeah. But again, what you're saying essentially yes. is the brain picks up on that and the brain says, yeah, I'm going to work with that and make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about a wagon with big heavy wagon wheels traveling over a path, initially there's a little teeny dent maybe in the path of the wagon wheel, and as more wagons with our heavy loads keep going over that path, it gets deeper and more ingrained. And pretty soon the wagons almost don't need a horse to steer them. They just kind of go in the deep grooves. That's kind of how brain wiring works with pain. So that low back pain signal is being sent constantly up to the brain. And like those wagon wheels, eventually that signal just becomes almost learned and ingrained and so powerful it's doing it on its own the brain is starting to just detect this with very little going on with, with a low back pain so we think about treating that quite differently because we have to now at this point do things to help the brain this is a direct quote that i actually wrote out on my yeah. pad here from the book your thoughts mm -hmm. about a bad event matter more to your health than the mm -hmm. event itself can you kind of take yeah. that apart a little bit Absolutely. So people react to the same event very differently. For example, if there is a car accident, 
one person might say, oh, that's an unfortunate thing. That's going to slow me down. I'm going to have to move around very cautiously. Another person might say, oh, my God, that's a car accident. I had one a week ago that's triggering a really intense stress reaction to me. Another person might think, oh, my goodness, I need to pull over and help. And we all react to the exact same event very differently. When bad events happen, your reaction to that event is really important because it's going to impact you physiologically. So if your reaction is extremely strong and extremely negative to an event, that's going to stay with you. That can create changes in mood. That can create changes in the physiology. So what you make of an event is very important, which also means if you find yourself reacting to an event, becoming furious or really upset, if you can step back for one second and say, what's going on here really? I'm really overreacting to this, or is it as bad as I'm initially reacting to it? You start to calm down your body physiologically. You greatly dial down the level of stress. So again, it's not the event. It is always our reaction to it. I don't know how you can't talk about stress a lot, especially on a health series like Highway to Health. So we do talk about stress a lot. Again, to use the bumper sticker analogy, stress causes inflammation and inflammation causes everything else. So we're just focusing on the physical manifestations. The brain is obviously a physical entity, but there again, that inflammation in the knee or the back or, or wherever it is, mm-hmm. is real. But now your brain is going to make the most of it as it can, because again, it's kind of what's there and it's what it's got to work mm-hmm. with. Exactly. And it just tends to amplify what it's experiencing. So we think about when we want to treat people with chronic pain, what is needed? So when we treat chronic pain, we rarely can just do one thing. There is no silver bullet medication out there. There is not one. Most medications, about a third of patients respond to. Who responds to what? We're just starting to learn. That's one of the biggest grants that we have in the National Institutes of Health so we can understand what person responds best to what treatment. So we study if a person has depression and anxiety, do they do better with physical therapy than a person who has less depression and anxiety, right? So we're just trying to understand how to tailor treatment. And that's kind of the goal of my book. Actually, there's a few chapters that talk about some of the things you and I are talking about, Dave, about stress and our thoughts and emotions and how they affect pain and pain in our brain. But then there's a 30-day period where there's just a little two pages and every day you wake up in the morning and say, hey, here is something that has been shown in scientific studies to work for people. And you think, is this something I want to do? It's something, say, like activity pacing. How do you actually pace your activities based on time instead of doing it until it hurts too much? And you try that activity that day and think about it and say, you know what? I like this. This is something that I can do. Or you try an activity and say, this is stupid. This makes no sense to me. I have no interest in doing that. And all 30 of these activities, ideally at the end of the 30 days of trying each activity, you will come up with like three or four, like these resonate with me. This is what I want to do because Dave, the one thing that we know about treatment for any chronic pain condition is the treatment that is going to work best is the one that the patient or the person is willing to do. So we can prescribe until we're blue in the face. If it doesn't make sense to someone, I know for me as a patient, if it doesn't make sense to me, I don't do it. I'm not going to take a medication that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to do an activity that doesn't fit into what I think is going to be helpful for my illness. So that is the goal is we are our own best judges of what can help us and putting the power back in the hands of the people to choose the things that make sense to them, that think they're going to be the most helpful. And then at the back end of the book, we help people put these into practice. 
I'm going to make another parallel here, but you go to the grocery store and every once in a while they'll have those samples. If you like it, you like it and you may buy it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's kind of the way the 30-day activities are. In as little as 15 minutes a day, you can do this, but you're only trying it out to see if you kind of like it. Paced breathing, guided imagery, Mm -hmm. time-based pacing, a walking program, Mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things appeal to some, not to others. You don't need to do all 30. You just need to do the ones that work. And if it works, it works. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully it becomes part of your life. That is the goal. At the end of the 30 days, people will try maybe a series or try one thing for two weeks and then try another thing for two weeks and say, hey, these both are good. I'm going to do these going on. That's fabulous. Job done that we've now introduced two things that might be powerful. Then maybe a month later, say, you know what? I also love this other thing. I'm going to try that. Chronic pain, like any other chronic illness, is something we need to address every single day. These don't go away. There's something that should be done or could be done to help pain, but we can't just do things for 15 minutes and the pain is better. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, it absolutely pains me to tell you that we are out of time here. (laughs) But Dr. Hassett, you got to come back. You know that already, right? Oh, I'd love to. I've had so much fun talking to you and, and sharing some of these ideas. That closes out this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health Podcast through Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health Podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo.